presence in this place in Jesus' name. And everyone said, man, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. As you're getting settled in, we would dismiss the children here for Children's Church. I want to uh, just take a moment, as always, um, to just affirm the gift of the Spirit of God um, and the gift of tongues in a public setting in a worship service. First uh, Corinthians says that when a, a public tongue is given, it should be interpreted, and when it is interpreted, it should be uh, a word from us to God, toward God. And so we receive that as a proper use of the gift this morning, and we want to affirm that to you. Let's just uh, give God praise for that. Amen. <laughs> We want to continue to, to affirm to you that um, in the operation of the gift of the Spirit, we, we do not need a tongue in order to have a prophetic word. So when, uh, when a tongue is trans, when it's, when it's translated, it should always work that way. And I, I appreciate obedience uh, on both sides of that. And just receive it as the Lord, amen, moves among us. Because if God is moving that way, he's moving in a lot more ways. And uh, we received that this morning for you. So if that is your first time experiencing the gift of the Spirit in that way, just uh, 1 Corinthians is right there. It's very powerful. And um, we appreciate the government of the Word of God over the gift. Amen? And as an eldership team, we just would like to affirm that to you. Hallelujah. Good to be in the house of the Lord. If you are a visitor, let's welcome all our visitors. Yeah, Amen. I'm excited about this sermon series, Win the Day. And I, I want to affirm to you that um, your gift and calling as an individual is not given to you by God without expectation from God that it would work hand in hand with the vision of God for the house that God has called you to. And so when we do the renewing of our vision sermon series, this year in particular, uh, I felt God was saying to encourage us all about how individually we are connected with our personal gift and calling to the gift and the calling of the house that God has called us to. And you need to be aware that, that this is a house with vision. This is a house of God that God has given us purpose and, and to be the people of God in the community to impact the community. And, uh, and God spoke those things in such a powerful way at the beginning of our ministry, uh, way back in 96. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to own the vision of the house through your own gifting. And th this series is to encourage us to deal with the things and our hearts and lives that hinder our gifting and keep us from contributing to the whole of the calling of God in our life to the house that we belong to. Amen? And as a believer, you are never called to not be connected to a local vision. I'll say this not just because I'm a pastor, but because it's the truth, right? Church is important. If it wasn't, God wouldn't have left us here. We're not building the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God always has been, the kingdom of God is, and the kingdom of God always will be. We are called to build the church. 
Because the church is the point on planet earth at which the kingdom of God invades earth. It doesn't come any other way. So you need to understand that being a, a family member of a house of faith is important. And connecting yourself with the vision of that house is more important than any goal or calling individually that you think you might have. You can't isolate yourself and be used in full capacity by God. God gave you a gift to be connected to his greater vision and the local body is just that. And so especially during this sermon series, I don't preach to the church down the road, I preach to this one. And these are very important. And so, um, you young people need to pay attention February the 6th, right? Breno's going to speak to you about owning legacy. And, and refuting entitlement. I, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. I want you to turn with me today as we talk about the second sermon in this series, Win the Day, that I've titled Kiss the Wave. Everybody say, Kiss the Wave. On purpose, we came up with some little titles that might stick in your mind. How many have ever been to the beach and you try to wade out into the water and you find yourself running from the waves? Because you don't want to get knocked down, Right? You don't don't want to get knocked over or pushed over by the wave. And the truth of the matter is the way way to deal with those waves is not to run from them, but to dive into them. In in Exodus chapter 14, I want you to watch this because I hope hope that this will shock you in in a way that will cause you to slow down and read your Bible a little bit. Verse 1, when the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, ordered the Israelites to turn back from the camp of uh, Phiharath between Migdal and the sea, camp there along the shore across from uh, Belzephon, and then Pharaoh will think. That, now God is speaking, and he's telling Moses what's going to happen. Then Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. Now pay attention, God is still speaking, and he says to Moses, I have planned this. (laughs) Moses, you're going to be trapped. You're going to be between a rock and a hard place. You're going to feel like you're going to die. Either you're going to get slain by the sword or you're going to dry in the, uh, drown in the water. This is what's going to happen. I'm just telling you right up. You're going to be in a place where you think it's all over with. You made the worst mistake in your life. You're going to be confused. Even the enemy's going to think you're confused. You're not going to know which way is up, which way is down. You can't turn to the left or to the right. You can't go forward or you can't go backwards. It's going to be a terrible situation, Moses. But guess what? I planned it. What? It's, It's right there. I have planned this in order. Everybody say in order. To display my glory. Good. Come on, somebody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Bless it to the reading of our heart. 
God, just let us receive it. Let it grow fruit in our lives to move us towards who you are and win the day, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Spurgeon, Spurgeon made a statement, and I, I like this statement. And Spurgeon's statement is this. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Now, let me just say this, and, and I, if I put something up here, you probably should write it down. You can tweet it if you like. Lord knows, there's enough negative tweets. You got to take the first step of faith before God reveals the second. Doesn't work any other way. And from Genesis to Revelation, from the history of mankind, it doesn't work any other way. You have to take the first step of faith before God reveals the second. Now, I, I love this particular story because there's some background behind it that you've got, you know, when you start reading the Scripture, you, you learn that now I, I've got some, some familiarity with it, but I want to know a little bit of the background of what's going on here. And, and years ago, I bought a set of commentaries called the, the, the Background Commentary Set. And it takes the Scripture and doesn't really elaborate on the Scripture. Instead, what it does is it tells you what's happening in the background of everything. And they use a lot of historians and a lot of archaeology. And it's a, if you'd love to see that commentary set, it is brilliant. One thing I discovered in there is I'm, I'm, stu- I'm a student of the Word. And I want to study a little bit behind this. Because I, I don't want a, a familiar story to get stale. There's a man, man named Nashon. He is the great, great grandfather of King David. Now... Nashon disappears as soon as he makes his debut, but he's there. And he's known for one act and one act only. And that act saved the nation of Israel through his courage. Now, after the Exodus, what we find is that the Israelites are trapped between Egypt... Uh, and, and Egypt's army and the Red Sea. We're familiar with this. There's mountains on the left, there's mountains on the right, there's a sea in front, and then there's the army behind them. We, we know this from children's stories. We know this from general reading. But here they are, trapped, and no one knows what to do. There's no way out. And then God issues a counterintuitive command. God says to them... Go forward. What? Does God not know that there's a sea there? There, There are no boats. God says to Moses, tell the people to go forward. Now there's a problem with that because there's no way forward. And I know there's not a person in this room, there's not a person listening to this sermon wherever or whenever you're listening to it that has ever felt in your whole life that you found yourself in a situation where someone was saying go forward, where God was saying go forward, but you felt like it wasn't possible. And I'm the only one. I am the only one in this room Who feels like I've been in situations before when when God would say, go forward, and I think God's crazy. You have lost your mind. It's not possible. 
Maybe, maybe there's someone who's listening who's, who's had some family issues and, and God is calling you to move. It's not possible. Or, or maybe you've had some anxiety issues and God is calling you to break out of that anxiety that paralyzes you and go, it's not possible. I'm too, too afraid. Maybe there's some depression that's worked in your mind and God has called you to go forward to step in joy. It's just not possible. You don't know what I've been through. Maybe you've got some family issues. Hello, somebody. Some marriage problems or, or some kids that are demon-possessed. It's just not possible to go forward. you got no idea about my financial situation. When God would say, go forward and make a commitment to be faithful to me financially and watch what I'll do. I got a story from you of a, of a couple right here in this congregation. And y'all get ready because you know every year during the Vision Sermon Series, I'm going to preach on tithing. It's about the only time of year I do it. There's a story in this congregation right here that's going to blow your mind. Remember that challenge I put up every year? Give me one year. Oh, boy. When people will send you a, 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 an email and go, this is not possible. And I go, go forward. Watch what God will do. There's no way forward. Elizabeth's word said what? The battle is about what and who we believe, not what we see. The battle is always about what and who we believe. Not what we see. Not what we're experiencing. It's about what we believe. Do we believe that God knows what's forward when he says go forward? Do we believe that God also knows what's in front of us when he calls us to overcome it? Do we believe that God keeps his word? So there was a leader, leader in Judah who happened to be the great, great, great-grandfather of King David. His name is Nashon. And he wades out into the water like Aquaman. So I see it. Y'all don't read your Bible like I do. I just... There's the Red Sea. Moses is climbing up on the rock. God says go forward and everybody is terrified. And yet in Numbers, there's a man who steps out in the water. His name... Is Nashon. And he doesn't wade ankle deep. He just doesn't wade knee deep. He doesn't wade waist deep. He doesn't wade shoulder deep. He keeps walking until the water is at his nostrils. And as soon as the water got to his nostrils, Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he raises, he raises, come on, somebody, his staff and whoo, the ocean, the sea splits in front of him. I need you to hear me this morning, church. God is the one who makes sidewalks through the sea. But somebody's got to be obedient to believe God. How? By wading into the water. And I, I, you think I'm crazy, but you got to watch. Psalms chapter 14. The scripture is so connected to each other. In, in verse 3, it says, The Red Sea saw him and coming and hurried out of the way. It's right there. The Red Sea saw him coming the shot and hurried out of the way. The Red Sea had never got out of anybody's way. Hello, somebody. The Red Sea never had anybody walk up to it with any kind of authority. 
The Red Sea was the obstacle for everybody and anybody except for God's people. And let me tell you something. When God's on your side, they're an obstacle that he ain't called you to move forward through that you can't worry through. Listen, let me tell you something. There's going to be some obstacles that you think you can't cross. That when you step up in obedience and faith to God, because he said go forward, what you thought wasn't going to move is going to hurry up and get out the way. (laughs) I feel like preaching. I mean, listen, there's this old, this old little saying that, listen, if, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat or live in Michigan. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I felt so spiritual the other day as the river was frozen. And I'm like, I'm like Jesus. I'm walking on the water. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm being like Jesus. I'm on the water. But let me give you a better one, one for us today, one for our ministry, one for our vision, one for who we are. If you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, you got to wade into the water. You see, we spend most of our lives waiting for God to split the Red Sea. And what if God's waiting for you to get your feet wet? You spend all your life trying to overcome addiction. What if God's waiting for you to overcome just one day? You spend, you spend your whole marriage trying to figure out how to be blessed and stay married. What if God just asked you to be nice one day? <laughs> you see, we want everything to split before we do anything. But let me tell you something. If that's the way it would work, you wouldn't walk across it anyway. You got nothing invested. You got nothing invested. You got no commitment towards what God is asking you to do. Maybe just maybe God's waiting on us. Maybe just waiting. God is just waiting to see how much we're invested. See, here's what I know for sure, church. If you want God to do the super, you need to do the natural. That old saying that says, well, God helps those who, who, who help themselves. No, that's not true. It's not true. That old saying that says God helps those who help themselves, that is not true. If you can help yourself, God expects you to do it. It's not a miracle if it's in your ability. And if it's in your ability and you're not doing it, that's called disobedience. And it's no wonder we live comfortable with sin and dysfunction. I'm preaching to somebody if it ain't nobody but me. You got to take a calculated risk. You got to make a defining decision. You got to take a step of faith. You see, that take, that's all it takes for God to make a sidewalk through the sea that's in front of you. Listen to me, church. You got to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. Where else do you want to be but in the arms of the one who can carry you through? Jesus, this trouble threw me up against you. I'm so hurt. Jesus, this trouble pushed me closer to who you are. I'm so mad. Where else do you want to be? The first step is always the hardest. Somebody say amen. Why? Because you've got to overcome the law of inertia by taking initiative. Hello, somebody. You, got, you, you know, you overcome fear by exercising faith. 
I, I wanted to, see, you got to take the first step before God reveals the second. Somebody say amen. That's what Nashon did. That's what he did. He, he's like, I, God said, go forward. I'm going to keep walking. If God can't save me, who can? And I'd rather die in obedience to God than die in disobedience to God at the hands of an enemy. You have to wade into the water and if necessary, right up to your nose. Let me, let me set the scene for you because I, I want to do this. Israel's trapped. We get that, right? There's uh, the army. There's this, see, it's a no-win situation. Here's where we're at. Death by sword, death by drowning. Put yourself in there. almost said shoes, but let's say sandals. Imagine the sound of the horses and chariots. The entire Egyptian army, full throttle right at you. And you, 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 know how that, you know what that mode is, right? It's fight or flight, right? It's like, here we go or I'm out, right? It's, it's like, it's, like we, it's on or I'm gone. Fight or flight. It's on or I'm gone. One or the other. It, it's right there. That's that mode. It's, it's here we go. Are we going to handle this? Are we going to do it? Are we going to check out? It's this situation. There we are, right? And, and the people panicked is what the Bible says in the story. Why? Because either way they're dead. According to what they see. But this is when leaders lead. Hello, somebody. This is when spirit-led people stand up and stay calm and carry on. This, this, this is when spirit-filled people step up and step in. This is, this is when people who believe God, right, begin to say either God's going to save us or he ain't going to save us, right? This is, it's, it's on God now and it's not on me. See, that's who Moses is. He's that guy who does. And so in verse 13, he steps up and he says, Fear not, stand still, and you'll see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you this day the Lord will fight for you you got to hold your peace now let me give you three little simple steps this morning I, I need you I need you to grab a hold of this as we move forward in what God is calling us to do as individuals so that the vision of this house can continue to be complete every one of us in here individually and as a ministry to face our fears we have to take our stand we have to hold our peace. Every one of us in this room would look at, look at all the scenarios and situations that we're facing, and some of it just ticks us off. I, I, listen, I'm as angry as some of y'all about some of the stupid stuff going on right now. Like, nobody in their right mind can think that is at all. I'm just a country boy with a little common sense. But I know that two plus two is going to equal four. I also know that situation ethics is going to allow anybody to take 2 plus 2 and make it add up to whatever they want to. This is a time when the church has got to face some fear. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. If you've if you got an Egyptian army at full speed right behind you, and Moses looks at you and says, fear not. Every one of us say, that's easier said than done. Listen to me, church. Courage is not about the absence of fear. Fear is the prerequisite in courage. 
The question is this, how do I manage it? How do I manage it in this moment? I believe that faith is the process of unlearning fear. I said, I believe that faith is the process of unlearning fear. Perfect love cast out. I love it. You fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom. It, mean, it, mean, it means to hold God in high esteem. It, mean, it, mean, it means that, that, that you've got to put God above everything else. It, it means that if you fear God, you don't fear anything else. Listen, the fear of God is the cure of every other fear. Let me push the envelope just a minute. Pick any fear, any fear. Pick any fear. It's like a card. Pick any card. Here you go. The cure for fear of failure is not success. The cure for fear of failure is failure. Anybody that ever succeeded tried. Way more than once, right? Come on. And see, the, the cure is, is not huge failures, but it's failures in small enough doses that, that you build up this immunity to it that you're like, man, I'm more committed to it. You need to identify the type of fear you're dealing with. Fear of failure? Fear of rejection? Fear of intimacy with people? Fear of relationship, fear of the future, fear of certain social uh, uh, situations, right? And you've got to identify it, then, then, then you don't avoid it. My wife often says, you love conflict. I don't love conflict. There's just no need in avoiding it. Now, avoiding it doesn't settle it. It just lets it fester. Just, come on. With, with maturity, let's face it. Not with immaturity. You've got to identify it and then not avoid it. You actually expose yourself to it in small enough ways that you build up something and you start learning. See, well, you've got to wade into the water like Nashon did there. See, nine times out of ten, failure is just poorly managed success, and success is well-managed failure. What if one of the greatest things that could happen to us is for the thing we fear to actually happen? Because then you get set free from it. You get set free from it. I, I remember when my wife and I got married and we bought our little house in Florida. And it was a little brick home and, and a couple acres of land. And, and it, it felt stable to me, right? Like uh, there was something inside of it that was, you know, uh, I mean, as a young man who who didn't live in obedience to my parents in, in certain areas, and it just caused me a lot of trouble and, and a lot of heartache, and, and those were my issues, and, and I never dealt with those issues, and instead of doing that, I just blamed other people. And I was very angry and very insecure. And, and we got married, and, and we bought this, this brick home. And, and it finally, it felt like security. Do you remember, you know, like the three little pigs that, yeah, the brick, it's brick, it's brick, right? Like, and I thought, man, that's my security. That's where everything is at. And then when God says, <laughs> move, N no, <laughs> no, no. And not only do I want you to move, but I, I want you to give everything away. 
And, and, I, and I've said this, and I've said it kind of flippantly just because some of you don't know all the details or maybe you don't understand why and how I say it. But listen, giving everything away and moving to Michigan with enough money to live for one month was the best thing I ever did in my life. Best thing. Everybody should have to give it all away at least once. Let me tell you why. Because then you're not owned by anything. Nothing owns me anymore. That little brick home owned me. Hello, somebody. And I lived in fear of losing it. But man, when we moved to Michigan, and we had enough money to live for one month, and I remember going to a job interview, and pretty sure I was going to get the job, and walking out the door, my wife said, hey, you need to make at least this much per hour in order for us to eat. And I went through the interview and got the job, and I was excited to start the next day. And um, I, I was walking out the door, and, and the boss man, the guy who hired me, said, oh, by the way, do you want to know how much you're making? I was like, no, I, to me personally, I, just, I was glad I had a job. And he said, I said, sure, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you know, at least I can start to budget a little bit and those type of things. And it was exactly to the penny what my wife had said an hour before when I walked out the door. See, it was God saying, look, I got you. I got you. I got you. See, sometimes, right, like, here's what we're saying. The greatest thing sometimes is having us face. God wants us to face our fear so that we understand that nothing we fear is greater than him. Let me add one more thing to this mix, right? We are a community of faith. We're a family of faith. We eat faith for breakfast and dinner, and, and, and right? What's the net result? Dream big? Dream big? Pray hard? Think long? Come on. Go after God-sized goals. Go after some God-sized goals. And, and, and we evaluate and activate each other's faith. It creates a, a barrier to fear. Come on, you can believe God. You can believe God. Let me tell you why you can believe God. Because when you step out in the water, they're in the sea that you face that God can't split. Like God is a sidewalk making God, right? God is a God who makes roads through the desert. God is a God who paves roads through the seas. God is a God who does the miraculous. This is who God is. And we, we encourage each other. Let me just say this. Let me, let me just say this. Uh, I, I'm just going to, I got a minute. I have threatened. It's right, it's right there on the front of a 12 o'clock. Anyway, I have threatened to turn off this live stream. I'll tell you why. Not because I don't think it's a good tool, but because Christians are lazy. There is no way you can stay home just because you don't feel like going to church and encourage anybody in this house. You can't do that. When a gift of the Spirit operates, and you online because you were too lazy to come to church, is there a time? Absolutely. Come on. But you can't translate the gift of tongues. 
that, that, that live streams for the non-believer, not for the believer. The believer ought to be in the house of God. You can't love nobody. You can't pray for nobody. You can't hug nobody. You can't go up to nobody and give a prophetic word. You can't be in the house and, and operate in the gifts of the Spirit and accomplish those things by saying, well, I'm just live streaming. Listen, you have made church all about yourself instead of about all the people in the house that need you. And if you keep it up, I'll turn it off. Do you know how beat up I get all week long? By the devil? About immature people? The one time that I can get encouraged is on a Sunday morning when people come in here to come up and give me a word like Dustin Jasper did this morning that said, press into God. He sees your hard work. He believes in you. Is on a Sunday morning. You want to hold that gift? Because you scared of what? Let me, just, let me just bless you this morning. If you went to Walmart this week, you got exposed. People tell, people tell, oh, Pastor, I can't come to church because I, I'm afraid of COVID. I saw you on Facebook on an airplane traveling across the world going on vacation, but the church is the place you're afraid you're going to get COVID? People have lost their mind. Oh, Pastor Don, you need to take it serious. I am taking it serious. If Jesus can't fix this mess, can't nobody fix it. They're going to have you walking around in suits from NASA. Here's the way I'm at. You're just on, I'm just owning my life. I'm just owning it. As long as I am living in obedience to God. God sees fit to take me when he takes me. Am I being a good steward? Absolutely. Am I washing? Come on, somebody. I'm not telling you to be a stupid steward. I'm not encouraging stupid. Somebody's going to send me an email. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'm going to get more than one. I get it. I'm telling you, church, we need each other. And the world and the devil knows how much we need each other. The devil knows how much we need this house. The devil knows how much we need corporate faith. He knows how much we need to take each other by the hand. The most powerful thing the church has is its unity, hand in hand, arm in arm. And I ain't going to let none of that separate me. Lord have mercy. Listen, if you're sick, stay home. But if you able, the Bible says, get here and don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some. That's scripture. And come here with a song in your heart, a word on your spirit, and a praise in your mouth. I'm just telling you. Next month, they're going to name it another name. I, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be a bad steward. I'm not encouraging foolishness. 
I'm just saying, church, what I see is the hand of the enemy. And we got to fight fire with fire. And if praise is my weapon, I want to stand next to you with yours. Because two weapons is better than one. I, I want to bless you this morning, and, and I want you to hear my heart in all of that, and, and not the, the devil. But all of us want a miracle, but none of us want to be in a situation that necessitates one. Is my heart broken over struggling? Absolutely. I, I, I'm just telling you, but that ain't going to end. We live in a broken world. Do you, do you know that? And everything that's happening now is a part of brokenness. It is a result of brokenness. And the further we get away from the fall of man, which is Adam, the worse the curse of brokenness is on the planet. The Bible said it was going to get worse and worse and worse. And listen, I don't know what you think the last days are going to look like, but I'm just saying welcome. Well, welcome. And if you're not rooted in the word and you don't know how to live your life by faith, you're going to struggle in this thing. Here's the good news. When you experience a setback, you don't have to take a step back because God is already preparing your comeback. Yeah. Oh! We need you in this house. We need your gift in this house. You can't win the day in your life without being connected to a house of vision and faith. What does God say to Moses? I have planned this. In other words, let me just, let me just help you out because you might think that's a little bit cruel. That man, God is just mean. He's, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I'm going to use his words again. I knew he was mean. He planned all this nonsense. What God is trying to tell you is nothing happens that I didn't know was going to happen. God's not necessarily saying I planned misery. God is saying I got a plan to deal with it. And that plan is going to reveal my glory. Oh, come on church. And so that gives me faith then to stand my ground. The, the New Living Translation, it says stand still, right? Uh, as in be still, know that he is God. The NIV says stand firm, as in having done all to stand. The Amplified says take your stand, right? All those things. Listen, I got no idea what thoughts are firing across the mind of Moses, but I just know his mind's got to be spinning because here he is with the people of God at this ocean, the army behind him and mountains on his left and right. And he's wondering where are we going to go and what we're going to do. It's got to be this flashback that happens in his mind of the burning bush. It's the only thing that I can figure out. He asked God this question, who am I? He didn't. He said to God, God said, I need you. He's like, who am I? Do you remember that? And I love that God often answers my questions just like he did Moses. With not ask, actually answering the question I asked, but answering the question I should have asked. And God's answer is, I'll be with you. 
had to go to Pharaoh. I can't talk right. And God said, I'll be with you. He didn't say, oh, you're, you're Moses. You're the deliverer. And you're gifted. And you're strong. And, and no, he just said, I, I'll be with you. Let me, every Easter when you watch the Ten Commandments, let me just bless you. I know Charlton Heston is standing there. Let my people go. I got it, right? Like, Moses didn't say that. Aaron said that. It's a good book. Y'all read it sometime. Moses says, stand still. See, moving forward in faith when it seems impossible, these are the moments when we discover who we are and who God is. And it's counterintuitive church. And that ranks right up there with something like the great uh, General Anthony uh, McClough said. He said to the American troops when they were surrounded by the enemy at the Battle of the Bulge. Here's what he said. He said, men, we have been given the greatest opportunity ever afforded to any army. We can attack in any direction we want to. If we are surrounded by the enemy, we can... What an opportunity! That's flipping the script. Hello, somebody. That's kissing the wave. Oh, I'm helping you this morning. You don't even know it. See, in crisis situation, I get to go back to ground zero in my life. I go back to the foot of the cross. I make a beeline to the empty tomb. I go back to the promise where I can stand on. Listen, he, he told me he who began a good work in me was going to carry it out to completion. He said he would watch over his word in my life until he performed it. He's working all things together for my good. Amen. Because I love him. And he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, somebody. Now listen, Josiah, don't, don't get under the bench press. And quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And put 800 pounds. Don't do that. No, when Paul said that, he's talking about suffering. And he's saying, I can suffer well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God will strengthen me to suffer well. You see, in a Western world ideology, the first thing Christians do is they, they, they check out on God at the moment of suffering. But the Scripture, the Scripture from front to back, church, is God walking with us through our suffering, not walking with us so we avoid suffering. And I said it last week and I'll say it again. The only, the only ceiling to our intimacy with God and our impact on this world is our spiritual discipline. You stay grounded in the Word of God and pray through. That's how you stand your ground. Having done all to stand, you stand. And you fight one more round. And let me tell you something. Just because people don't believe the way you believe, or maybe they've got a different opinion about who and what and how to deal with this current world we live in, they're not your enemies. They're not. They're your ministry. They're your ministry. God gave you a gift to use for people who ain't like you. 
If God called you to be with people who are just like you, all y'all would have the same gift. You wouldn't have any need for each other. But see, God calls us into this place called the church like a fishing net thrown out into the water that gathers any fish, any color, any size, any variety, and any species, and he brings it all together in one room and says, look here, this is who you are. And we look around at each other and go, I don't even know who we are. We're just a mutt for Jesus. We have a core value as a church. Stay humble, stay hungry, and then there's nothing God can't do through us and in us. Come on, church. That's how we stay in our lane. I love Brian. Brian's always like, stay in your lane. I gotta stay in my swim lane. And there's been times when, you know, we've had these conversations when, hey, gotta stay in the swim lane. And yeah, you're right. This is what's happening. There's been times when I've been incredibly discouraged because I'm doing something I'm not supposed to, and Brian will come up to me and go, hey, man, you're not in your swim lane. I'm trying to swim in somebody else's lane. Get out of the way. Stay hungry. Stay humble. We need each other. That's how we stay the course. The most, the most underestimated kind of power is staying power. And the greatest weapon the church has is not how wonderful the worship is or how dynamic the preaching is or whether we can get a sermon preached in 25 minutes or 45 minutes. I've tried, y'all. It's right there. It's right there. It's our unity. And if this church is going to be effective in the vision that God has given us, our unity is the one thing that no matter what happens can't be taken away from us. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We got to have each other spiritually. We got to have each other physically. We got to have each other emotionally. We got to have each other financially. We got to have each other. If we're going to win the day, we cannot do it alone. If you're going to win the day, you cannot do it live streaming. It's not the design. It's a great tool. Somebody say it's a great tool. It is. Lots of people have been encouraged by it. But it is not God's plan to be effective in the world. How can you be a part of sending people to the nations if you're not present? Y'all not helping me. It was either horrible preaching or good preaching. All right, all right, here we go. Watch this. November 31st, 1517. Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door. When he was told to recant of this diet of worms, is what it was called. Here's what Martin Luther said. My conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So here I stand, I can do no other. We, we need that kind of moral courage in the day we live in. When cancel culture 
is busy canceling righteousness while at the same time promoting the most unrighteous things in the world that we live in, you better believe we need the church on planet Earth more than we have ever needed it in the history of mankind. How do we kiss the wave? Ground yourself in the Word of God. Anchor yourself to the promise of God. But you've got to embrace the pain and suffering. You've got to learn the lesson to cultivate character. Do you understand that? Hold your peace. Let me, let me close with this. There's an ancient tradition practiced by some Orthodox churches called pass the peace. Now, we'll know it and recognize it from a biblical teaching about communion, but it actually traces back to the Sermon on the Mount. And if, if you're offering a gift and realize that you're at odds with someone, go be reconciled. Leave your gift, go be reconciled, and then come back. That's how you counteract racial tension. That's how you counteract political polarization. That's how you interrupt the pattern. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. And you bless those who curse you. When you pass the peace, you invade planet Earth. But, but, but let me back up one step. It's really hard to pass the peace if you don't learn how to hold your peace. You can't pass what you don't have. Come on, you're sitting at a dinner table and somebody's like, hey, can you pass the collard greens? No, they on the other side of the table. I ain't got them. And if they're on this side of the table, I'm sorry about your luck. You're probably still not getting them. They're mine. Come on, help me out, Mike. Got to have some collard greens. We're going to have some collard greens today. Today. Hello, somebody. Mm. Y'all got me thinking about lunch. Here's a, here's a statistic, right? Here's a statistic. One-third of Americans struggle with anxiety or depression. 33%. 33%. I, I actually think if, if people were honest, it might be higher than that. Uh, how, how do we get it back? How do we get peace back? How, how do we hold our peace when it seems like the world is spinning out of its mind? How do we hold our peace on a train ride that's going off the tracks? As those who follow the Prince of Peace, come on, stay calm and carry on. We are people who have the authority to rebuke the wind. <laughs> Instead of fearing the wave, we're the people who have the authority to kiss it. I've learned to kiss the wave that pushes me against the rock of ages. Come on, church, this thing is in my way. This thing that is driving me close to Jesus. I hate it. Take it away from me. As the people of God, we're playing offense. Come on, church. Grace givers and peacemakers. Mm. When we do that, we shift the atmosphere. Everybody loves grace until you have to be the one to give it away. Pastor Don's preaching. Ooh, we love grace. God's like, good, you give it away. No, 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 
The Bible teaches us that love is expressed in its most powerful form when it's given to those who don't deserve it. I can't change the past, but I can learn from it. And in learning from it, I can bury it six feet. I don't know what you need to bury to win the day, but it's time for you to kiss the wave. And I think this is a pretty simple message. If you want to kiss the wave, you've got to face your fear. You've got to stand your ground. You've got to hold your peace. Nothing's easy about those three things. Come on, I'm not... I'm not ignorant to that. It's easier said than done. I get it. But I love what happens next in our story. When the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell Israel, go forward. You've got to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative. You've got to overcome fear by exercising faith. You need to, listen, I'm just, if you need marriage counseling, it's hard to wade into the water. Just get wet. You ever had a mess so big you don't know where to start to clean it up? Let me tell you how to do that. Just start. I never met a mess that had a one, two, three fix anyway. If you want to lose weight, wait out into the water. If you're training for a marathon, you can't sit on the couch. Come on, Brenda, tell them. Got to run. You got to get up. You got to go. It got to wade into the water. If you got... Conflict to resolve? Come on, somebody. You got to wade out into the water. It's hard. I know it's hard because it's counterintuitive. The first step is always the hardest. Somebody say amen. But if you want God to do the super, you got to do the natural. If we want God to make sidewalks through the sea, we got to wade out into the water and kiss the wave. We got to wade out into the water. And kiss the wave. Come on, church. We got to wade out into the water and kiss the wave. I I don't know about you, but every morning I get up with the idea to win the day. Now, I'm like you when I get home every evening and wonder what happened. Hello, somebody. Did we win the day or did we lose the week? on church but then I got to remember a man that's the great great grandfather of a great king what if he had stopped stepping into the water when he got to his ankles well that didn't work what if, what if he was brave enough to get to his knees well that didn't work and stopped what if he got to his weight that didn't work what if he come on church this isn't happening What if he'd stopped when the water reached his chin? Now, that was a waste of time. My daddy gave me the great gift of discipline. I haven't walked it out in perfection. I get it. But there is something he gave me that I will always say he gave me discipline. 
and either <laughs> by his hand or, hello somebody here, by his, his thought process. And he used to make some statements to me. And he used to always say, it's too soon to quit. I, I remember that. Don, why'd you quit? You were right there. It was, it's too soon to quit. It's, it's too soon to quit. And my dad would say to him, it hurt my feelings. So why'd you give up so easily? Why'd you give up so easily? Come on, church. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. He's the author and the finisher. In other words, he kissed the wave for me and you. Think about that. Can I say it like I said it last week? Yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today I get to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And I'm going to win the day. And I need you to understand as a, as a people of God, the reason we even talk about renewing our vision is not just to fill the calendar with a new sermon series. God has plans for us. In Rhoda, I have planned it. I don't have a trick Bible. It's right there. And the psalmist, when it wrote, about what God had planned. You know what he wrote? He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't write about the fear that all the people had. He didn't write about the mountains on the left or the right. He didn't write about the Egyptian armies. You know what he did? He wrote that when they, stopped, when they stepped at the Red Sea, the Bible says the very thing they thought was the obstacle to going forward, it hurried up and got out of the way. Come on, not a person in here this morning who don't need Jesus to work in this moment. But so does this church. If we're going to continue to send people to the nations, if we're going to continue to equip and plant churches, come on, church. We can't do it without each other. And the thing you've been going through is the very thing God is using. He's planned this. It's almost like he to draw you close to him. And I know sometimes the greatest act of faith in our life is simply just getting up and being able to walk with Jesus that day. That's really the only thing he requires of us. Just walk with me. Do you know when the disciples walked with Jesus, it was then that they walked in power and authority. When the disciples, when they obeyed Christ, it was their testimony when they finally got back to him. Jesus, you would not believe what happened when we did what you told us to do. And Jesus was like, Pfft. you think that's awesome. Just be thankful that your name is written down in the book of life. Now let's go. We got more to do. Will you stand with me in this place? Oh, church, I, I need you to grab a hold of this and understand that what God has given us together is an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. I, I had the opportunity to meet with your eldership team 
this past Thursday night. January the 4th was 18 years ago that God brought my wife and I to this great place. But in just a few minutes, I was able to walk around the room and share with each one of the leaders how God has connected us for a lifetime. And how well, Doug, Doug and Nancy and Mike and Donna have been together at Locust Grove for, right? Right? It's 25 years you've been here, but like our leadership team's been together for 18 plus years, 25 plus years. This leadership team in this church is incredible. That's a gift to us. Do you understand that? And here's what your leadership team is planning. They're, they're asking question, right? Who's the next team that's going to carry it the next 25 years, the next 35 years, the next, uh, if Jesus tarries? This is a gift to us. See, we're thinking longevity and legacy. That's what I'm telling you. February 6th, every young person in this church needs to be here. You've got nothing else to do. God's got a word for you. It's that Mount Sinai moment for you where God speaks. Because God's got some good stuff for us. And I want us to own this thing. I want us to win the day individually and as a church. Hello, somebody. Can I pray with us? Father, you are so good. We embrace this word. Lord, you have done great things. And here we sit this moment because of it. Forgive us, God, for forgetting. Because our eyes are locked on an obstacle in front of us that you delivered us just days before. God, you don't set us free to let us be taken captive again. You build sidewalks through seas. You build roads over mountains, God. You make what's impossible possible. God, give us the initiative. Help us to embrace the wave that flings us against the rock of ages. With passion, God, to know that the best thing that can happen to us is the thing that pushed us close to Jesus. The best thing that can happen to us is to get our feet wet, to take the initiative. Do it for your glory. Do it for your honor. We receive you this morning, God. Hallelujah. Come on, church. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. Come on, somebody, that's a word for you. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. That's a word for you. Come on. Because the God serve knows only how to try us. Come on, church. Bye.
song for us today as a church, as an individual. So many of us stand in a moment of needing a miracle. And I just need us to understand that God will not let his character or reputation be defamed. Amen. He will do what only he can do so only he gets the glory. Father, today in this place we rejoice at your good hand. We want to be a people who always declare that the good hand of our God is upon us. And so, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Turn around, tell your neighbor, kiss the wave.